Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to open. During Advent, I like to follow the scriptures that are highlighted in the lectionary, and I'm going to read three of them to you today. Um, but I'm going to open reading uh, this, this prayer that's in the form of a psalm, and I'm going to open reading this and pray this over tonight. Um, this is the psalm of the week. It's, it's Psalm 46, 5 through 10. Happy are those whose help is in is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He hold, upholds the orphans and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. God, help us to see that you are God over every heart and soul. And help us to have eyes to see those that, you, that are yours that we often pass over especially in this season. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Um, so next week is going to conclude our Advent time, and we are also going to be celebrating uh, Christmas, the Christmas story. And, and so I want to, uh, so this is our second to last week, I want to review with you real quick the, the main theme of Advent. So Advent is a word that means coming or come, and so what we, cel what we celebrate and what we remember in Advent is the story of these people who ex wait expectantly for the coming or the breakthrough of God into our world. And so sometimes in the stories, we're too quick to jump to, all right, God fixed the problem. He did the thing. And but when, the, when the, the story of the people of God in the Scriptures is so often those who wait expectantly for God to come and do His thing. And, you know, Jesus has this rebuke to the Pharisees. He said, he said uh, you know, you, you, can, you can tell us it's raining when you see clouds. And anybody, anybody can tell something when they see something in the natural, but it's a story of God's people who faithfully wait for something that God's going to do when it doesn't look like He's going to do it. Like, I know this is the, the, the story we've heard as a kid, but how many of you know it would be a little bit weird to be a guy building a giant boat called the ark when there's no rain and there hadn't been any rain? That's the way God works. And that's the story of Advent. It brings us to sort of come back to that place of, of waiting. And I want to say this this is really key, is that God is faithful to fulfill all that He has promised. God is faithful to fulfill all that He has promised. And the responsibility of God's people in the Advent story isn't to fulfill what He's promised. Their responsibility is to faithfully believe His Word as He has given it to them. Amen? And so we've gone so far themes of hope and peace and tonight we're on joy, and I'm not going to get to joy to the end of the message. So 
so you have to go on this this little bit of ride. I want you to get this picture of of how God works with his people. And so I'm going to read to you one of the scriptures. This is the prophetic scripture from Isaiah for Advent this week. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Um, I love, uh, you know, one of the commandments that was that Paul gave and was, hey, when I've written this letter to you, I want you to read it aloud. He didn't say, come and give a really good teaching on it. He said, read it out loud so that people can hear it. And one of the things that, that I love about uh, the traditional churches is they follow that commandment really well. So many, like if you go to an Anglican or an Episcopal church, you're going to find that somebody's just going to stand up and read the scripture. No thought additional needed. <laughs> and they're going to read it. And so anyway, I'm going to read to you an entire chapter and, and we can just receive it and see what God says. So, here's what Isaiah 35 says. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shouts for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts of where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about it. No lion will be there, nor ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? I love, I love that uh, chapter. One of the reasons I love this chapter, I used to read this probably for a year or two. I read this chapter every day. And it just happened to be this week's text. John G. Lake, um, who was this healing preacher in the turn of the 20th century through the mid-20th century, he read this scripture every single day. And I had read um, this, uh, his autobiography. If you get a chance, I'm putting this out there for you, there's this autobiography of John G. Lake. It's called Adventures with God. It's like 53 pages, and it's free online in the form of a PDF. It will massively encourage you. This man of, of incredible faith, and you could get it free online. And so I'd really encourage you. Look at it. But John G. Lake was there was he, he's one of the people that they would say the most documented healings had come under his ministry, and so so many. Um, miracles. I, there was there was a point where the town he lived in, Spokane, Washington, they they had declared it the healthiest city in the country, and there was not a single there was not a single person in the hospital for a period of time there. And 
And you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people were healed. And people would come all over the world and they would stay in these healing rooms. And God would, God would uh, miraculously heal so many people. People dead, raised, everything. And reading his, his autobiography is super, super, super powerful. One thing that I, when I, that I think of, when I think of a guy like John Lake and his life and ministry is that God brings anointing for healing where there's sickness. Like He brings healing where there's sickness. Healing, the healing anointing doesn't show up where there's nobody sick. The, he, the healing anointing shows up where people are in pain, where people are dying, where people are hurting. Like the, the powerful healing anointing of God comes where there's brokenness. Amen? What we see in this scripture in Isaiah 35 is we see these pictures and metaphors of brokenness being transformed, being renewed, being recreated. I, I think this is important because some people, um, some people have used this scripture to describe, they've used the scripture interpretively to describe when we will be in heaven. But I don't think that that's a very good interpretation. Because if you look at the Scripture, what it says is it says there's going to be a desert. And in that desert, it's going to become like an oasis. There's going to be people who are weak. There's going to be people who have weak knees. And they will be strengthened. This isn't a picture of being whisked away to some place where we're away from all the pain. This is a picture of the process of transformation in the middle of brokenness. And so this is, this is how God works. This is the story of every human heart. Every one of us have a little bit of desert and wilderness in us, right? We've had a little bit of wilderness that we've walked through. We've had moments that our knees have had to be made strong because this, this isn't a picture of being taken somewhere. This is the picture of God changing something. That's what God does. He does not pull His people out of the suffering, out of the wilderness. He uses them to change the wilderness. To change the desert. If your gospel is primarily about God plucking you out of this earth one day, you have the wrong gospel. This is a gospel of truth that propels us into the world with the power of God to change that which is broken. Amen? This is the picture of not only every human heart and soul, this is the picture of the whole cosmos. Like God is redeeming things because He's not just to scrap it and start over. God, He's a redeeming God. The other thing I want you to see about this text is that, so Isaiah, who is... Um, prophesying over here, he, he would have been prophesying even during like the reign of Hezekiah, he would have been prophesying a hundred years before the Babylonian exile of Israel. And so the Babylonian exile, the people of God are taken to a land that's not theirs and they are, you know, all that they've hoped for, all that they've promised is removed in front of their eyes and they get subjected to slavery and oppression and removal from their land. But actually, Isaiah is living in a time of relative prosperity. 
for Israel. Hezekiah is kind of like one of the kings that we think highly of. It's not a perfect time. You still have the split of Judah and Israel in the north and the south, but you have this time of relative prosperity. And here, God is speaking this promise to Isaiah. He's speaking a promise of redemption to Isaiah before the problem even exists. Like God's giving a promise that brings about a resolution before the problem is even present. And this man is prophesying and he's writing. He's not only writing of sorrow and sighing will flee away, he's writing of a sorrow that will become present. He's writing of a desert and a wilderness that is before them. Amen? And so like a lot of times, a lot of times the way that God works is that He will begin to speak promises to us long before we need those promises to endure in our faith. And the point of what Isaiah is doing here is obviously like he, he's not going to see the Messiah in physical. Like he's, he's, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus comes to earth. He's not even going to see the problem that God's talking about. The only thing that Isaiah does is receive the promise of God and believe it. Like that is the only, that's the only thing that he does. He becomes a receiver of the promise. Everybody say receiver of the promise. I want to use, um, we need to see this. And I want to use this idea of being a receiver of the promise as, as a picture for how God uses his covenant people. How God uses his covenant people. This text, this scripture, this promise is an example of how God uses His covenant people. As covenant people, what God does is He invites us to be, He invites His covenant people to be receivers of the promise. And so I want to give you this bigger, like broad idea of, of God's covenant people. So let's, let's talk about, and, and I'm spe specifically speaking about Israel for a moment. Let's talk about what did God do with Abraham. Um, he comes to him, to Abraham, and he says to him, you're going to have a son, and, you know, let's sum it up and say that there's going to be a nation that comes from you. And from your nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's like this is what he speaks to Abraham. And, you know, I've mentioned this in, a few years ago, but, like, the Bible, Romans 4, commends Abraham for being this one who walked in the promise. And literally all Abraham does is hear this word, eventually have a son, and take a long walk. Probably more than that. But he receives a word and has a son. He doesn't see the slavery that Egypt will enter into. He doesn't see the rise of the kingdom, the fall of the kingdom, the exile, the fulfillment. He sees none of that. But what does Romans 4 say? It says that this is a man who by faith walked in the promise. Abraham is a receiver of the promise. He walks in the fulfillment of the promise by being a receiver of the promise. And so I want you to get this picture. And we see this not just with Abraham. We see this all down his line, whether it was with 
Samuel or David or a guy like Joshua backing up or these prophets. All of these people are those that receive the promise. And so this becomes, in my opinion, the central role of Israel. Psalm says that he made, he made Judah, he made Israel his own inheritance, his own people. And it, it becomes their central role to be the carriers of his promise so that all the world through, through, uh, through them can be blessed. So I want you to see this. Let's look at these couple of scriptures. I know we're taking a long way to get somewhere, but just walk with me. Romans 9, 2-4 says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. This is Paul speaking as a Hebrew. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Ephesians 2, 12-13 says it like this. Remember at that time, he's speaking to those who aren't Israelites. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here is what Israel's one role is. There's many, many, many roles that that uh, spiral off of this. But they have one role. He says, I'm going to choose you. And I want you to do this one thing. I want you to be a people of covenant with me. And when I say people of covenant with me, what I mean is, I am going to give you my promise. I'm going to give you the prophetic words. I'm going to give you all the things that point to the fulfillment of what I will do. And you will receive these things. What he does not ask them to do is make it happen. When Abraham is committed as the one who walks in promise, he did nothing to make it happen. He didn't even actually have a child in his good young age when you should be doing it. He actually had to have a miracle child. He, he did nothing to make it happen. He did one thing. He received the promise. The promise that he gave to Abraham, the promises that he gave to Isaiah, the promises that he gave to Jeremiah, the promises that he gave to his covenant people are actually so dependent upon him that he doesn't just do a divine work to make them happen. He actually... He actually has to incarnate himself into human flesh. Like, he, it's so dependent upon him that he actually has to come in the form of a baby and make this happen himself. The only responsibility of God's covenant people was receive the promise. They had none of the responsibility of making the promise happen. And because we believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, 
you are now His covenant people and the receivers of His promise. And our role is to receive the promises of God and let Him make them manifest in the earth. Like it's His, it's the incarnation of God that completes what He is designed to do. It is not the really work hard yourself that makes it happen. You have one role. I'm going to hear your words. It doesn't look it doesn't matter if the clouds don't show rain. I believe you. These promises that were written down long before ever ever had a problem was because God knew that his people would literally be in oppression for hundreds of years. Some of us are like, man, it's been two years and it just hadn't happened yet. I'm like, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> right? He was present in the, midst of a, in the midst of their suffering. And He only asked them to do one thing. Receive the promise. That's our role. He is the one who completed it. Um, recently, Ryan Brewer and I have been working in the backyard building this fire pit um, that many that many of you contributed to. And I said this in a few weeks ago, but I want to say this again. I'm very, very thankful for all everybody contributing to that. It just really, really means a lot to Andrew and I, and something we really want to do. And so, but I also wanted to build it myself. And so, Ryan and I have been been chipping away at that. Early on in this process, my kids became extremely intrigued. And they're all like, what's going on? And, you know, Judah specifically really wanted to work with us. And early I'm like, man, this is going to slow us down. Like, I just, you know, go find some raccoons, you know. I, I don't know. <laughs> and so, anyway, Ryan was like, man, he's like, when are you going to ever do this again? You know, like, you, you need to let him, you know. I was like, yeah, you're right. I should do that. And so anyways, you know, I, sh I think about that, and I'm like, all right, so like, there's been a couple times recently, you know, we're, we're mixing mortar or something, and I've got this big old shovel, and Judah's got the little deal, and he's just, you know, he's doing this. And, and I was like, man, I need to take this as an opportunity. And so I, you know, went a little slower. Show him, hey, here's what we're doing. Yeah, see, we're doing here. Like, I'm going to go over here, and you can, you know, smooth this out and find little ways to involve him. And it was kind of a little bonding, you know. All right, son, you see that? That's, that's, uh, that's a finished product right there. And so anyway, I did not get him to participate with me because he would help me finish the job. The job is slower. <laughs> I got him to participate with me because I want to be with him. And we're just like, when are we going to get this thing done? You know, we're using our little like garden shovel. God's got like a bobcat over here. He's just. <laughs> 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 and you get to be 
a part of this story. You get to wait in expectancy for God's breakthrough. I didn't plan on talking about this, but at the beginning of the summer, I think I've mentioned this story in church. We, we had this small uh, role left with my dad's company that he sold at the beginning of this year. And um, I di they didn't require a lot of me, but it was pretty good compensation and very minimal output for me. And I was, was one day I was thinking about it, and the Lord's like, I want you to quit that. Quit that job. I'm like, well, just like, I mean, I don't do anything. Like, you know, like, <laughs> pretty much they pay me. <laughs> and, um, and so, anyway, the Lord speaks to me real clearly. He says, you can do this now by faith or later by sight. Okay. Um, and I just, I just did not, like, you know, I'm like, okay. What, what, what that meant to me was, whatever it was that breakthrough that he was going to do, he was going to do regardless of me participating correctly. But I would get the privilege of stepping in faith. And that's what God does for us. He gives us the privilege of believing when there's not a reason to believe. I mean, this isn't always the way it works out because many times it, ha it doesn't work out. In this particular story, God completely has replaced that income and more before the end of the year without me looking for it, without me doing much. And so, like, it's not, the, it's not the point that there's a bow at the end of the story. It's the point that God wants us to believe Him. And our role is to hear, to respond, to obey. I want to go to one more um, passage that's from our lectionary this week. And I want to read to you the Magnificat, which is Mary's great response of praise by being given um, the privilege of receiving the, the child of, uh, you know, this, you know, Jesus. And, and so, understand that in Luke 1, I'm going to read from Luke 1. In Luke 1, we see that an angel comes to her and says that you are going to have a baby, and he is going to be God's child. You've been chosen. You haven't you haven't, uh, you know, you haven't been with a man, but you're going to have this child. Second, after that, it uh, he comes, she comes and meets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth immediately sees Mary and begins to prophesy, "You are this highly favored one." And Mary's response to the angel is, "Oh my goodness, let it be so to your servant." Now, here's what verse 45 says. It says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, you can all just say, well, an angel showed up. But I don't know about you. There would not be any. It, would, it might take a million angels to convince me that my wife is having a child that is not, you know, from any man. That, <laughs> that is not the level of encounter that would have to happen. And I think what we often think is, well, God just made it so obvious, which I'm sure He did. But don't you think that He carefully chose this woman who would receive with joy that which God had said to her? And there wasn't a baby bump. This is, she receives it unknowingly of any of us. 
And I want you to see the, the response Mary gives. She hasn't seen the result. She hasn't seen the promise. She hasn't seen any of this stuff fulfilled. And she says this, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the Mighty One has done great things for me. His holy name, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud and their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as promised to our ancestors. This powerful response of joy. And if you look throughout all of the Scriptures, what you will find is those chosen by God respond in some way like this. Many, many of them are like, they're like Hannah, who has not had a child and, and gives away her child to the house of God. And when she finds out she's pregnant, she's like, God, what would, you know, why, how would you give me such a beautiful thing? Or Abraham, who walks in the promise before it's fulfilled. You will find throughout the stories of scriptures, those who receive the promise with joy and with faith. Alright. I want to talk about joy for a moment. Um, how many of you know that the joy of the Lord is our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, how many of you have a joy that, say, you felt at times a joy that's like this? Like, oh, this is a good paycheck. <laughs> that was a great hangout. It was a really nice compliment I got last night. There's more people just sitting in the chairs this week. How many of you have had a joy like that before? I think of this thing, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy is like a motivator. That's the way to think of strength. It's like something that propels you forward. You don't have a lot of joy. There ain't a lot of you know? Yeah. How do we lose our joy? How do we lose joy? I, here's what I think. This is where I want to land. I think we lose joy when we become those who try to manifest the promises that God only told us to receive. Many, many people are motivated in their walk with God in their walk in life, in their walk in family, in their walk with career, whatever you want to put it, many, many, many people, most people, all of us to some degree, are motivated by fruitfulness. We are motivated from the joy that comes from fruitfulness. When it happens, it's like joy shot right here. Oh, yes, sweet, awesome. I think I can look at Scriptures and say that not all seasons look like fruitfulness. 
They may be fruitful in a kingdom way that's like, okay, God, I see, <laughs> I see now how that was fruitful. But how much, how much of Scripture is, doesn't look fruitful in the moment? Here, here, here's my thinking. Many are motivated in their walk and their activity with God by fruitfulness. But I believe God desires for us to be motivated by faithfulness. If all you, if you recognize that your only responsibility is to receive the promise of God and to be faithful to what He said and stop trying to complete the task by yourself, you will have an abiding joy. Those that their strength or their motivation or their joy comes from faithfulness are those that are like they're like a tree planted by the river. It's not when the nice check comes, rain. It's not when the great hangout comes, rain. It's not when the everything works together and it's all perfect, rain. There's a river that nourishes the roots of that tree that runs deep and consistent because its source of water is from a higher place. That is the kind of joy that will sustain. Abraham's joy was not, there's 10 million people and look, all the nations are blessed in them. Right? What is his joy? He receives the promise. What is Hannah's joy? She receives the promise. What is Mary's joy here? She doesn't say this at the stable. She says this after her encounter with Elizabeth. Her joy is in God's faithfulness. His ability to complete the task. And as long as we try to live in the realm of making it happen, we will live with a joy like this. Because your only strength is coming from a, from a joy of external, externally seeing God at work. It's the prophets. It's the chosen ones. It's the covenant people. It's God's near ones. It's His friends. It's the ones He says, I spoke to Him face to face. It's those people that He comes and gives His promises to. It's those people that He comes and speaks His words to. Because those people cherish them before the result of them is seen. you got one responsibility with God's covenant. Hear Him. Obey Him. Be faithful to what He said. You do not have to make it happen. You know, there's a great philosopher that said that any good story is the story of all creation. And I believe if there's any story that's the story of all creation, it's the, it's the coming of a Messiah and His death and His resurrection. And this story is the story of every part of our lives. It is one where we wait and where we wait and we wait and God fulfills what He said He will do. Where God fulfills what He said He will do. And that is what incarnation is. It is God choosing to come into the world to do what man cannot do. 
it's more ridiculous than my son, you know, with the little shovel thing. For us to think that we can manifest it. And we always live absent of joy. We will always live uh, restless unless the rains just come that day. You'll always be dependent upon the rains if all you're looking for is fruitfulness. You'll be like the Pharisees where Jesus says, you see the rain because the clouds are coming. I want to be a tree planted by the river who's nourished by this source of water that doesn't come and go with the day. And at the heart of the Christian life, Jesus says that he endured the cross because of joy set before him. At the heart of the Christian life is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if the joy of the Lord is your strength, it's your motivation, it's your fuel to continue, then you have to find a way to live in sustaining joy. And it is not, I am so dang thankful that God does awesome things in my life I looked, I looked today, and I had this moment. I've shared this with the prayer team. I was, Andrea asked me like 97 times to take these groceries that she had brought in out to the garage fridge, and I kept getting distracted. I'd like take like one thing of Topo Chico out there, and then I would come inside, and I would do something, and five milks are sitting on the table, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever. And she's, at some point, she was like, can you please do that now? Yes, got it. Um, <laughs> so I go out there, and I'm like, I'm trying to arrange the Topo Chico and the milk and the, and the greens, the kale. I'm like trying to arrange them in a way where they fit in. And I have this epiphany. I'm like I'm playing Tetris in my fridge, and I have this epiphany. I go, oh, my goodness, my extra fridge. I'm playing Tetris in to fit everything in. And I just go, Oh my gosh, God, like some people, they open the fridge and there's nothing in there or they don't have a fridge. And I'm thankful at first. And then my second thought is, but, but you know what? Like God's a part of their story too. You know, one of the things as a church, as the church does is we celebrate his goodness predominantly with the outward expressions of His goodness. We celebrate His goodness when we look at the extra fridge and it's full. And do you know what that does? That marginalizes every person's story who doesn't have the extra fridge full. And it says to them, well, if this is the way that God's good, then He must not be good to me. And you know what else it does? It marginalizes every part of your own life when the extra fridge ain't full. You are more shaped by receiving the promise in the wilderness than you are by the oasis at the end of it. God's goodness shines even brighter by those who persevere under the circumstances where there is no rain. We have got to stop preaching to ourselves and others that the joy of the Lord comes when we see His obvious goodness out here. We have got to start saying to ourselves that the strength 
that the motivation, that the joy of God comes because we know He's faithful to complete that which He's promised. I want to receive the promise and live in it long before there's any resolution. And that's what it means to carry God's goodness. Man, I'm thankful by those moments. I'm thankful for the moments when I look and I see the obvious. And rain is a blessing from God, amen? But I am... Oh man, I'm going to die here. I am more thankful that my heart is growing less restless and that my joy is more consistent. And that comes from here. Here's what John 15, 9-11 says. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain His love, I have told you this so that my joy may be complete. My joy in you may be complete. Or that, that you and your joy may be complete. Man, that one got me. <laughs> How many of you want complete joy? Complete joy is to abide in His place. Complete joy is not, oh, praise the Lord, it's the, the, the fridge is filled. Complete joy is to abide in the place of resting in Him no matter the situation. I'm going to finish with this analogy. I, I, we're having some technical difficulties, so I didn't bother with this. But I looked up this picture beforehand. When Huck, my dog, was was little, we sent him to this training place where he got a little bit of a training of like a retrieving, you know, a retrieving dog. And there are all different kinds of, like for hunting, there's all different kinds of hunting dogs. And I was looking at this picture of this pointer dog before the uh, service. And I thought, this point, this pointing dog to me, it like represented what it means to be a covenant person more than anything I'd seen. And his dog is just sitting there like, have you ever seen, have you ever seen a picture of these dogs? They're just like, boom, like their eyes are just, they, they lift one little paw, they do this little thing, and they're just like, man, they are just aim, and they are waiting, they are waiting, their eyes, it's like intensity, but it's like not anxiousness, nothing, just focus. And the bird falls, they do the point, and they wait. It is not the bird falling to the ground, which their reward is getting the bird. It is not the bird falling to the ground that makes them move. It's the call of the master that makes them move. They wait. They wait with focus. And nothing else matters but the command of the master. That is what we are supposed to be like. Because really, if you know a dog... The real joy for the dog is not retrieving the little bird, but it's the affirmation of the master once he gets back. You don't, your focus is not out here, your focus is here. You've got one responsibility, and if you do this, you will walk in abiding joy. Your one responsibility 
to hear him and to believe that he is who he says he is, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is loving, and that if you can do that, there is no situation that can shake your joy. Some of you have allowed a theology to creep into your mind that says that we must endure suffering and that in suffering there's no joy. We learn something different. That is not true. God, the way you endure suffering as Christ is one with the presence of the joy of God in front of you enduring suffering. There is simultaneously deep pain and deep joy. You cannot allow yourself a theology that removes joy from your situation. Some of the most joy I've ever heard is from people in far, far worse situations than I could ever even dream of being in. Amen? This is abiding joy. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray that God is going to release a sustaining, abiding joy. A sustaining, abiding joy. And here's, here's my encouragements, my exhortations to you from, from talking tonight. Stop trying to manifest your destiny. Stop trying to whatever. All of that. Receive. Come back to the promises. If you don't have any personal promises that you can recollect at this point in life, then go to the Scriptures and see what the promises of Scripture say. If they say God wants to get, you know, if in the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're supposed to live in, then hang on to that. Like, if you don't, if you don't, like, for me, most of the promises that I bank on aren't the ones that somebody told me, you know, when they said I had a prophetic word. There are those things that I hang on to, but the ones that I really build my foundation on are the ones I know that God is saying over us. And He is saying the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if I know this is the kingdom of God, then I know that's what He says. Like, I have to come back to receiving that promise. Deuteronomy 30 says that the commandment of God is not far away. It's not hard. It's not way out there. It's not up there in the heavens that you'd have to reach down and get it. It's right here. It's near you. Like God's Word has already been spoken over you. And if you want this joy to become this strength that's propelling you, you're going to have to go back to the place of being a child receiving a promise. Not being the one trying to pit Tetris pick up all the pieces of your life and make happen what you thought God was going to do. Amen? And so here's what I want us to do. I, I want us to just open our hands. I ask people to do this. It's just a prophetic sign. There's so many times in Scripture where God says, go dip in this water seven times or lift these hands or do this thing. And, you know, and so sometimes I ask people to do this routinely because it engages us physically in our mind with what God wants to do. And so it's not that this is some like magic thing. It's that I want us engaged with what God's saying. So I want you to open your hands and close, close your eyes and just ask God to make you a receiver. To be a child. Mix and mortar with daddy.
Ask him to remind you of his promises. Don't wave your disappointments at him. Give him those too. I want us to wait here for just a moment. If you could just stay in this place with me, I just just want to wait on the Holy Spirit for just a moment for Him to do what He wants to do. I'm going to pray this over you. Lord, I pray that you would release a resounding and a sustaining joy that would permeate hearts, that would uh, melt off troughs, that you would realign, you would would appropriately align us to you. We wouldn't think of you as vending machine God anymore. But God, we we would be receivers of what you want to say to us, God. I speak right now a sustaining and abiding joy. I pray for promises to be fresh in our hearts. God, I pray for promises to to burn within us, God, that we would see that which you'd said and it would move us, God. God, that we would not just see that which has happened, but that we would see that which you've said. Lord, I pray that your voice and your words would transform that exactly as you said in Isaiah 35, that there would, be, there would be an oasis, not at the highest heavens, but in the desert, God. That there would be a blossoming where there's not been blossoming, God. That you would strengthen knees. That, you, that the lame would leap like a deer. That the deaf would hear. God, that you would open the eyes of the blind. That you would strengthen the depths of our inner man. That we would let go of the obsession of the wilderness in our own lives, in our own souls, in our own hearts. And we become obsessed with the promise that you have in the midst of the wilderness, God. We won't be obsessed with our faults, with our brokenness, with our situations, with our disappointments. That those things would stop being the idols of our worship. They would stop being the things that we focus on. They would stop being the center of our attention, God. They would stop being the center of our conversation with you. And you would bring us back to being children receiving the promises of God from a Father who is faithful to complete them forever and ever, always. You will do it, God. I pray that you would bring us back to that place, God. And that we would put a stake in the ground and we would say that we will not accept a life without the joy of the Lord that is our strength, God. That we will not accept a perspective, even if we don't know how to get out of that perspective, that we become resolute, that we must have your joy, God. That we must have your peace. That we must have your hope, God. God, let your promises rain fresh on us tonight, God. I pray that you would, you would confirm individual promises that you gave, God. God, that we would be a spiritual people that are not looking to the clouds for rain, but they're listening to the Master's call who says it will happen, who says it will happen. 
And God says to you that it will happen because I said it will happen. It will happen because I said it will happen. And I will make myself incarnate in your midst. And I will come and impregnate your life with my presence so that everything in front of you that I intend for you to do will happen in Jesus' name. God, we confess that we've idolized our weakness. God, we confess that we idolized our disappointments. God, we confess that we've idolized our brokenness, God. God, and make it blossom, Lord. I just, this is, a, this is a, not meant to be rude, but I just hear, it's like I heard this whining chorus. Like, no wonder why I went. And I heard God silence the whining chorus. He's silencing the whining chorus. Not because he's distant and uncaring and impatient, but because he's present. But because the King of Kings is present, he will silence those thoughts. He will silence those voices. I just want to say, say this, this one thing. It's, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to say that you, you can receive this like another sermon, you can receive this like another prayer, or you can receive this as the moment of miracle in you. You can receive this as a moment of miracle. You can say, well, there's, there's no clouds. You can say, there's no, I mean, I'm not falling down. There's nothing like, there's, there's no clouds. But I think there's always, an opportunity for us to receive the moment with God as the miracle. That, that doesn't stop here. That is day by day by day. We can always receive the moment miracle. And so God, I just pray that we would receive it as the monumental miracle moment that changes us for good in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, whenever I think of joy, there were two scriptures that really quickly came to my mind whenever I was thinking about communion and joy. Um, and that was, the first one was Romans 12.12, 12. be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And um, whenever I hear be joyful in hope there, I think it's not the kind of hope that's like, gee, I really hope this happens. It's like, I'm hungry, and I know I'm going to go eat dinner after church. And so I'm joyful that I'm going to go eat dinner, and I know it's going to happen. And that's the kind of hope we have to have. We can't just be hoping that something happens. It has to be the kind of hope that it has been told to us that it will happen. We accept that it will happen. And so we get to be happy that it will happen. Um, the other one was uh, Hebrews 12.2, uh, just the portion of it that says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so that's an example of that kind of hope. He was, he was hopeful for the day that we would be able to go with him in heaven and the day that our sins would be forgiven and the day that we could be pure. 
And so he was joyful in that hope. And because of that, he endured the cross. So uh, with that in mind, we can come get the elements.